Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is True News, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. I'm Rick Wiles. Today is Monday, February 19th, 2024. Former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev gave NATO nations a dire warning that his country is fully prepared to unleash its entire arsenal of strategic weapons on Washington, London, and Berlin. If Russian leaders believe their country's survival is threatened, let's start today's true news with this headline published by London's Daily Mail. Kremlin threatens to unleash Armageddon on the West if it loses in Ukraine. Moscow warns it will fire nuclear missiles on London, Washington, Berlin and Kiev if Russia is forced to give up territory. Uh, DACA, it seems to me the uh, The headline is self-explanatory, not like we need a lot of comments about this. Um, Only fools would dismiss it and and say the Russians are just bluffing. This is just as a Kremlin propaganda. Well, if it's propaganda, it's propaganda that they've had in place for quite a while because we were reporting on this two years ago where they have consistently said this is a red line for Russia. Absolutely. In fact, before they invaded Ukraine. They said it was a red line. They were telling NATO, this is our red line. Right. Don't do this. Don't come near our border. It's a red line. And so we're two years into the war, World War Three, and now Russian leaders are openly talking about nuking the West. I'll remind you that Mr. Medvedev is both a former president of Russia. Yes. And he's also the vice chairman of the Russian National Security Council, which is really uh, the, the embodiment of the Russian deep state. Yes, their war council. It is their war council. And, you know, Mr. Putin is a member of the council. And uh, so are a number of high level uh, kind of Russian Dick Cheney type of people. They're, they are the people that will make the decision whether to go to war with NATO. Now, Mr. Medvedev posted a long uh, message on his Telegram channel, and we're going to go through it line by line. It's important that you digest each sentence that the Russian leader spoke to the people of the West. Uh, I, I really personally believe that their their consciences are compelling them to state over and over and over, we are ready for total war, which means the elimination maybe of all humankind. I believe their conscience is bothering them, Doc. They know the gravity of what is about to happen. Yes. And I believe that they, you know, the only record that would count is in heaven. 
They want to be able to say to God, we warned them. We fought the Antichrist. We fought the Antichrist. We warned them multiple times to stay away from us, leave us alone. They wouldn't do it. We were forced to make a, a draconian decision that ended up in a, a Armageddon war on planet Earth. So let's go through this uh, Telegram post. So it starts out here. He said that some time ago I wrote here in my Telegram channel, a nuclear power cannot lose a war. The snotty Anglo-American fosterlings immediately jumped out with heart-rending cries. No, that's not true at all. Even the USA lost in wars. And this is an obvious lie. I wasn't talking about Vietnam, Afghanistan, or dozens of other places in which the Americans waged colonial wars of conquest. I wrote about historical wars in which the defense of one's fatherland takes place. Your land, your people, your values. These are the kind of wars that nuclear powers have never lost anyone. Now, why am I writing this again? Yes, I read the words of all sorts of Pistorius and shops, and they think they are really such or are they are just pretending. The world cannot afford a Russian victory in this war. Like this, that's how. Okay, let's imagine for a moment that Russia lost and Ukraine with its allies won. What would such a victory be like for our enemies, the neo-Nazis and their Western sponsors, well, as has been said many times, a return to the borders of 1991. That is, the direct and irreversible collapse of present-day Russia, which, according to the Constitution, includes new territories. And then there was a violent civil war with the final disappearance of our country from the world map, tens of millions of victims, the death of our future, the collapse of everything in the world. And now the main question. Do these idiots really believe that the people of Russia will swallow such a division of their country that we will all think something like this? Well, alas, this happened. They won. Today's Russia has disappeared. It's a pity, of course, but we must continue to live in a collapsing, dying country since a nuclear war is much more terrible for us than the death of our loved ones, our children, our Russia. And that the leadership of the state headed by the Supreme Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces of the Russian Federation, in this case will tremble in its hands to make the most difficult decisions. So here it is. It will be completely different. The collapse of Russia will have much more dire consequences than the results of an ordinary, even most protracted war. Because attempts to return Russia to the borders of 1991 will lead to only one thing towards a global war with Western countries using the entire strategic arsenal of our state. In Kiev, Berlin, London, Washington, to all other beautiful historical places that have long been included in the flight targets of our nuclear triad. We will have the courage to do this if the disappearance of a thousand-year-old country, our great motherland, is at stake and the sacrifices made by the people of Russia over the centuries will be in vain. Well, the answer is obvious. So it's better to return everything before it's too late, or we will return it ourselves with maximum losses for the enemy. Like at Divka, our warriors are heroes. And so that one line in there, Rick, the full nuclear arsenal of Russia is at our disposal to use. And that's not only nuclear weapons. Yes. That's biological, biological chemical, chemical, scalar, whatever directed energy, but we have no idea what their full arsenal is. Space-based weapons. What Medvedev said is, if we come to the place that we believe that we're going to lose our country, you're going to lose yours too. 
If we go down, you're going down. We're going to burn down the whole planet, at least the western part of the planet. Right. That's what the man said. Is there anything difficult to understand about the man's words? No. I mean, remember, he's the, the deputy of their war council. Yes. And he doesn't just – he can't just put, blurt out anything that – Without approval. Without approval. And I also believe, Doc, uh, Mr. Mivedev is auditioning for the job of replacing Putin. He, he served as president for one term. I believe he's auditioning for that job again, that if something happens to Vladimir Putin, the toughest talking guy in Russia is Medvedev. And it's been interesting to see the evolution of uh, Medvedev over the past two years, isn't it? And the beginning of the war, I mean, before the war began, he, he was a bit sarcastic and a bit, mm -hmm. you know, humorous, humorous at times. Yes. OK, but no humor now. No, there, there's nothing funny. Deadly about serious, deadly serious, man. And again, complete foolishness on the part of American and Western leaders to dismiss his warnings, uh, to shrug it off as saying they'll never do it. It's it's just bluff. It's propaganda. Um, they they would never risk uh, a nuclear war. Now the man just told you, if we think we're going to lose our country, there's nothing left to do except destroy you. Right. There's, that's not hard for me to understand. When when you push somebody up against the wall and they have they, they believe there's no way out, they will take drastic measures. They will do whatever they have to do. And that's what that's what the Russians are telling us. Uh, congressman Mike Turner is the, the congressman who last week made the startling uh, decision, or not to desist, the startling announcement that he had intelligence uh, that Russia had a, or was planning a space-based weapon, a nuclear space-based weapon. And apparently this intelligence had been in play at least several weeks, maybe up to a month, and that uh, basically his appeal for releasing the information was uh, encouraging the Biden administration to declassify information related to this extreme security threat. Right. And so there's there's a lot of uh, opinions about his motivation. I, I'm not going to pass judgment. I don't know. Um, he may have uh, very serious information that the American people need to know. There are some people that say, well, he's this is all hype. Uh, he's trying to get the Ukraine Israel military aid bill passed. Um, he's also a big proponent of of. Uh, the Washington deep state having uh, surveillance powers. And so there are some people who say he's, he's just trying to create the, the, the paranoia in the country to allow the government to spy on people. Again, those are all valid speculations. I don't know. But he, he appeared on Meet the Press, and he would not confirm or deny that there was a Russian nuclear space threat. Let's watch. As you know, you created a bit of a firestorm in Washington this week when you sounded the alarm about the national security threat related to a Russian anti-satellite weapon. The New York Times is now reporting that the concern is whether Russia might put a real nuclear weapon in space. Based on the intelligence you have seen, how serious is the threat? 
Well, the, the threat is very serious. Everyone who's looked at it uses the same language that, that I have, that it is a very serious threat. And I, I'm, very, I'm very glad that the administration is beginning to take action. Uh, we met with Jake Sullivan, and he began to lay out a plan uh, that hopefully would begin to address this. I understand that Secretary Blinken here at Munich uh, met with leaders from uh, China and India, according to how the New York Times is reporting. Uh, that certainly would be an important big step to try to avert this. President Biden has said this is not a nuclear threat, though. Do you agree with that assessment? How should people be viewing this? Well, I can't, I can't confirm or deny this. What I have called for is for the administration to declassify this. I mean, my concern is that this is kind of like the Chinese spy balloon, and the, the administration is kind of hiding, perhaps, you know, some inaction. Uh, the, uh, but as this becomes more and more public and the administration uh, grapples with, uh, with what we're dealing with, uh, I think they are going to be taking it seriously. I think they will be taking action, and that obviously is the goal. Your thoughts, Rick? Um, I'm still leaning towards... And EMP, I, I, I would not be stunned, surprised to find out the Russians notified Washington that they've placed a nuclear weapon, a warhead in space hovering over North America that's capable of delivering an electromagnetic pulse attack over North America. You don't blow up satellites with nukes. That's no. crazy. You'd blow up your own satellites. Because you blow up your own, yes. I mean, that's just stupid. That's, um, you would use laser weapons against, pinpointed weapons against satellites. So you're not destroying all the other satellites. So that's just, to me, um, ridiculous talk that, that they're going to explode a, a, a nuclear warhead in outer space to kill, you know, take out satellites. I, I, I lean towards uh, the view that there's... Uh, a, an EMP attack and that the Russians may have already notified Washington or the Russians launched a spaceship that uh, with a payload on it that has that nuclear warhead and that it's there in space right now. You talked about a, a uh, mysterious Russian um, rocket that that launched uh, weeks ago right on february 9th and so and that had a a classified payload it said uh they russians haven't revealed what that payload was i just coincidences i don't believe in them you have a rocket launch and then two weeks later all of washington's uh, in a stir about a potential new russian weapon i don't think it's a new russian weapon it's just one they've deployed yes now one thing that congress uh, yes uh, congressman turner had said is that this information? I'm not in, he didn't say it there in, the, in that clip, but he had said last week that he had been in possession of this information for three weeks. Right. Last Friday, while driving home, uh, Friday evening, I was listening to uh, talk radio, and there was a caller. And again, this is you know, <laughs> you can't put a lot of uh, stock in in what. An anonymous caller is saying on a talk radio show. I get that. But I, my ears perked up because the caller wanted to talk to the talk show host about this, this nuclear weapon in space. And he said that he worked in the scientific community. And I forget the exact area of science that he, he was employed in, but he sounded like somebody with um, – knowledge of 
of scientific and technical and uh, engineering, digital communication technology. And what he said to the talk show host was, I've known about this threat for three weeks. It's, it's not a secret in the scientific community. That's what he said. It's not a secret in the scientific really? community. He said, I've known about it for three weeks. That's what got my ears to perk up. I turned the volume up in my radio on the car, began listening. And you know where he went with the doc? He told the host, and it went right over the head of the host. He told the host, this is an EMP weapon. And the, the host had no idea what he was talking about. You know, the host went back to, well, we got to do something about these Russians threatening us to blow up our satellites with nuclear. Come Didn't on. understand it at all. But the fact that I heard this man say, you know, it's an EMP weapon, that got my attention. So I, it would be the worst nightmare, folks. You'd be better off to be incinerated with a nuclear uh, warhead than to live after an EMP attack. Why do I say that? Because you're still alive, but there's no life. There is no life. Everything. Um, you're back. You're back to the uh, 1600s. No technology at all. Nothing. No way to to pump water. No electricity. No utilities of any kind. No food. No transportation. No trucks hauling food. No farmers able to. Uh, tractors not moving. Nothing. No. Food processing companies still operating. You know, someone wrote me over the weekend saying, well, I'll have solar panels and everything. I'll have electricity. I said, no, you won't because the... All your gadgets will be fried. Well, uh, but the circuit boards that process the electrical from the solar panel mm-hmm. to your uh, to your household grid, they're right. fried. Yes. And all, the, all your gadgets in your house are fried. Yeah. Everything electrical is fried. That's an e- You're not fried. The gadgets are fried. Well, you think, well, we'll get it fixed. Well, how are you going to fix it when nothing works? And guess where all the circuit boards and transformers From are? China. Yes. Our electrical grid can't be fixed because all the parts come from China. And China's just going to sit back and watch us starve. So years ago, James Woolsey, former CIA director, told me, and this was a personal conversation I had with him. He said that within one year, 90 percent of the american people would be dead not from the blast but from the implosion of society the lack of food a lack of water the lack of medical care the lack of heat um just the chaos the crime he's they the cia expects 90 percent of the population to die within 12 months after an emp attack that's what i think the russians have threatened to deliver to the United States. Uh, it'll be the worst nightmare. You just don't want, you don't want to live in that world. Um, and there's no way out. There's no place to go. Canada's going to be taken out. Mexico's going to be taken out. Right. Where are you going to go? Are you going to walk on foot? What are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? How long can you walk? to get to South America. This is the nightmare that we would have. 
Yes, the, the one thing that's kind of preserved the North American continent for now centuries is the fact that we've got two great big oceans on both sides of the continent. That's kind of protected us. But in an EMP, it becomes our prison. Yes, we're boxed in. We can't in. go anywhere. We don't have any place to go. Have no place to go. Lindsey Graham wants to declare, designate Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. Lindsey's mind's always active, thinking of a way to get a war going. And, of course, he has, he has no children. He has nobody losing a war. You know, really no skin in the game, does he? No. So what's this all about? Well, last week, uh, a guy named Alexei uh, Navalny, a political opponent of Putin, died in a Russian prison. Of course, the speculation is that Vladimir Putin ordered Navalny's murder, and therefore Putin has to be treated as a terrorist. A, a terrorist. Uh, Nobody has evidence that, that Putin ordered the death of Navalny. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But you don't have any evidence. Um, that's like saying, uh, I mean, when, when Jeffrey Epstein died in, in prison during Trump's time. Right. That's like saying Trump ordered Epstein's death. You don't have evidence. You don't have proof. It's speculation. But this is what this is what uh, Lindsey Graham is saying. Uh, Graham wants to designate Russia a state sponsor of terrorism after the death of opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Navalny, the most prominent of Putin's opponents, died in a high security prison near the Arctic Circle in Russia on Friday. While the prison service said he died after losing consciousness following a walk, there was immediate widespread speculation, including from. President Joe Biden and Ukrainian President Zelensky that Putin was behind Navalny's death. Uh, there are four countries currently labeled as state sponsors of terrorism by the United States, Cuba, North Korea, Iran, Syria. Their designation comes with a battery of sanctions, including restrictions on foreign assistance and a ban on defense exports and sales. Now, listen to this, Doc. Graham said... Sunday, that legislation adding Russia to the list of terrorist sponsors could be introduced as early as this week. That's right. They're moving on it. Yes. Uh, this is uh, Lindsey Graham on CBS's uh, Face the Nation. Why don't we do this? I just got off the phone with uh, two Democratic senators. Let's make Russia a state sponsor of terrorism under U.S. law. Let's make them pay a price for killing Navalny. It would allow the Navalny family to go to U.S. court and sue Putin's Russia for killing of their loved one. A state sponsor of terrorism designation is a game changer. It would allow more sanctions. It would open up the American courtroom. Do you expect legislation on that this week? Yes, absolutely. President Biden told Putin, if something happens to Bali, you're going to pay a price. President Biden, I agree with you. The price they should pay is to make Russia a state sponsor of terrorism like Iran, Cuba, and North Korea. They deserve this designation. Uh, Putin's been killing people, opposition leaders, for decades now. He's dismembered Syria. He's one of the world's worst actors. He's an indicted war criminal. You see, but when you change it from... The current situation to a terrorist situation. Yes. Now you can do rules. anything. Yes. Legally, you can do anything according to Western standards. First of all, Lindsey Graham should learn 
how to pronounce the deceased man's name. He kept calling him Navalny, Navalny, Navalny. It's yeah. it's it's uh, there's an N on his name, Navalny. Uh, so the bottom line is Lindsey Graham is going to get this introduced this week, and suddenly we're going. To, I mean, who in this? Who in the House and Senate is going to vote against a bill? Like this, only Russian collaborators. Of Rick. Anybody in the House or Senate that votes against Lindsey Graham's bill will be accused of being Russian stooges. So this thing's going to sail through. It's going to it's going to become law. Joe Biden's going to sign it, and uh, that's all there is to it. Now, there's some things I want to show you about this. And again, I, I don't know anything about this man. I don't know how he died. I don't know if it was natural or murder. I'm not going to get in and jump in on the propaganda because I don't have the facts. And, and I wish uh, the rest of the media w- would follow facts and not propaganda. Well, it is interesting that after Navalny passed, Rick, it was w- just minutes when Western sources started publishing the story. Minutes. I know. They knew about it immediately. Right. I mean, within minutes of his death— Somehow they had they had news of it before the average Russian citizen. Yes. So this uh, article from the Metro in London, Navani's body found and shows signs of bruising after mystery spy scene at prison. Now, this is uh, uh, yesterday's newspaper. And uh, this is what's in it. I want to show you something. Critics of the Russian regime have accused Putin of sending spies to disconnect Closed-circuit television cameras at a prison complex just days before prominent Kremlin opponent Alexei Navalny died. And the article goes on to say the organization claimed that the uh, closed-circuit television cameras were shut off at the complex, um, as well as suggesting the speed at which authorities may come. Is on talking about it now. Where are we going with this? I want to. I want to jump down to number nine. Do you remember this story? <laughs> Surveillance video outside Jeffrey Epstein's cell was deleted in a clerical era. That was from January of 2020 there, folks. Remember that story? Yeah. Somebody, somebody, somebody deleted the video that would show Epstein committing suicide. But if you believed that, you were conspiracy theorists. That's right. And then we have this story from Bloomberg. This was uh, June 27, 2023. Epstein had extra sheets. And not just a few. <laughs> I mean, they delivered a lot of sheets to him on that night. Wouldn't that have been a bit suspicious? Um, you would think it would have been suspicious, Rick. I mean, that's more sheets than I think we own at our house right there. Well, he asked for clean sheets. And then um, this AP story, as Epstein Epstein died, the prison guards shopped online and slept. This is from November of 2019. Now, if we turn this all around and we said, as Navani died, Russian guards shopped online and slept. As surveillance video outside Navani's cell was deleted. 
or Navalny asked for extra sheets. Yes. <laughs> Do you see the propaganda? Again, I don't know how Navalny died, uh, if he was murdered, and I don't know who murdered him. For all I know, Mossad could have murdered him. Or the CIA could have murdered him. Yes. I mean, if you could get into Epstein's prison and kill Epstein, you could probably get into a Russian prison. And Look at the way last two weeks ago the Israeli assassins went into a hospital dressed as doctors yes. and shot That's people in their Rick. hospital beds. Good point, Rick. And so, and, but the, the thing is, the Western media make Navalny out to be the super important uh, political opponent to Vladimir Putin when he was only polling between 2 and 5% among the Russian people. It's like Putin was terrified of him. Right. That, that's not the case. And besides, they have Navalny on tape asking for money to start a collar revolution in Russia. I mean, they have they have the goods on him in English, mind you, asking Western reps for ten to twenty million dollars to start a collar revolution. Now, once again, don't know who took him out. Maybe he just died of natural causes. I mean, I doubt it. But I'm not going to start a world war over it. Right. Now, um, Lee, in control, let's go back. I skipped over uh, number eight for purpose. This is BBC. Julian Assange, his wife, says he would not survive in a U.S. jail if extradited. You know, he's still in prison. Yes. Now, is he a political prisoner? Yes, he's a political prisoner. And his wife fears he'll die in an American prison. But there's no outcry over Julian Assange from the West, at least, is there, right? No. No, because he... Uh, he exposed the lies. He, yes, he betrayed the deep state. And they, they have every intention of murdering him. He just won't order the extra sheets. That's right. So don't, don't believe this propaganda. Uh, while we're on the topic of, of uh, Jeffrey Epstein, there was a, a, a podcast two weeks ago that I never got around to talking to you about it. Uh, Megan Kelly, who used to be on Fox News, she has her own podcast show now, and she interviewed Mark Epstein, which, uh, who is the brother of Jeffrey Epstein, and he made a stunning yes. accusation with photographs. Yes. And this story went z- Absolutely nowhere in America. Nowhere. And what's fascinating? Now, if it had been Navani's neck that he had a photograph. It'd be everywhere. Imagine. Yes. Here's, here's Navani's neck. What am I talking about? The brother of Jeffrey Epstein had a photograph of his brother, Jeffrey, uh, the, the autopsy with, with a very unmistakable scar on his neck. Let's... Uh, I've got four, I got four clips from the Megyn Kelly show, and this goes back, like I said, two weeks ago. And uh, yeah. so the first clip uh, it set this up. He questioned uh, he, Mark Epstein's come a long way on this story. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, when when this first happened, he was not questioning. He just believed everything that was being told. He has come a very long way in this. In this first clip, he's talking to Megyn Kelly, and he questions. The cameras, and remember the story we had about the cameras here earlier, about the camera files being deleted. Now we find out cameras are off. Mark Epstein questions this whole narrative here. Watch this. Joining us now, Mark Epstein. He's not appearing on camera, as is his want, uh, because he wants to keep his identity private. 
and maintain some of his anonymity. You can understand that. Mark, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for your interest in looking into this. Yeah, oh, of course. I mean, from the beginning, we've been fascinated by it, like so many Americans have been. And um, l- let me give you the floor to just walk us through. Give us, the, give us the, you know, the elevator pitch on why you do not believe your brother killed himself. Well, let me first start off by saying that when I found out that he was dead, uh, I, I heard it on CNN. So the government didn't notify me, as they've claimed in their report. I heard it on television. And at first, I just assumed that, well, I had no reason to doubt it and that he decided to kill himself. Uh, so I respected that. I expect I respected that as his decision. He didn't have any children. Uh, our parents are gone. He would know he didn't have to worry about me. He had no other close you know, relatives. So I just assumed that that was the case. But then uh, the next day, they performed the autopsy. And just as a precaution, I had, uh, we had hired Dr. Michael Barden to witness the autopsy, which I have the right to do. And the city pathologist, Dr. Roman, and Dr. Barden came out of the autopsy saying that they could not call this a suicide because it looked too much like a homicide. And you know, make it clear that Dr. there's nobody who has more experience with prison deaths than Dr. Barden. And he said he's never seen these results, these like three broken bones in Jeffrey's neck from a suicidal hanging like this. So then the questions became, uh, you know, if he didn't commit suicide, then he was killed. And then who killed him? How how was it done? Uh, so these questions started coming up. And then uh, Attorney General Barr came out publicly and, and said a real asinine statement. He said that he saw he personally saw the videotape of the camera that was on outside of the tier where you could see the tier door. Explain tier. Oh, that's the, the floor where Jeff's cell was. You go into a door and it's a corridor with four cells on either side of that corridor. And at the far end of that corridor, you, there's a camera that faces towards the door. So anything that takes place on that tier, you know, outside of the cells could be viewed by that camera. Well, miraculously, that camera was not functioning that night. But the camera outside of the tier, which showed the door, and it's also that showed that the guards were not doing their jobs. They were surfing the net or napping. That camera was working. So Bill Barr referred to that camera, saying that he saw that nobody went in or out of the tier. So that convinced him it was a suicide. And when I heard him make that statement, I thought he's either the, the dumbest guy on the planet or he's covering something up because for two reasons. One, to presume that somebody could get to that door, go in undetected, you know, kill somebody and go out and leave undetected is ridiculous because there are six levels of security before you get to that tier. This was the maximum security place in the prison. So that didn't make any sense. And And let's remind everybody that Bill Barr, the attorney general under Donald Trump, uh, his father at one time was the headmaster, the principal of a private academy, private school. And he personally hired a teacher, a math teacher whose name was Jeffrey Epstein, who had no degree in math. Yes, but he taught. There was higher, a, higher math. A no, he taught math. A, a spiritual math, yes. Kabbalah, numerology. 
So there is a Bill Barr connection to Jeffrey Epstein through his father. And his father happened to also write a pornography book. So there's another connection to Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, the camera was off. So, of the most high-profile inmate of the Manhattan Federal Maximum Security Jail. It, it, you would think that the <laughs> warden the warden would have told his staff, the IT director of the prison, if there's any camera in here I want working, it's the one on Epstein. If you have to get a new one, go buy a new one. I want that camera on at all times. But apparently it was the oldest camera. It didn't work that, at least on that night. Now, on this next one, this next video clip, um, he, uh, Mark Epstein talks about that his brother was dead at least two hours before being discovered. And he also talks about an unusual mark on his throat. Let's watch. Well, first of all, when they, when they found Jeff in his cell dead, he had been dead for at least two hours. We know that from the autopsy result, because the mark that was left in his neck, which you can see in the photograph, for that mark to be embedded in his neck that way and dried like that, he had to be dead for at least two hours. Could have been six hours, but a minimum of two. So when they found him, he was clearly dead. Okay, he wasn't revivable. He should not have been moved. The medical examiner should have been called. Yeah, that's very. Well, just, I'm just going to interrupt you one second just to tell the audience we are going to show the picture of uh, Jeff and the and the mark on his neck that you're referring to. This is the first time anybody's seen this uh, publicly. So keep going, Mark. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Okay. They should not have moved him because also when they find a dead body, you know the position of the body. There's a lot of information they can get from that. That's why they tell you to you know never move a dead body if you find a dead body. Just get the authorities, let the coroner come. Because what happens when you die and you're laying there for at least an hour or two, the blood in your body settles down from gravity because it's no longer being pumped through your system. So it seeps through the tissue. So the lowest parts of your body by the floor turn like purplish. You get a blotchiness. It's called lividity. It's, it's from the blood pooling under the skin. So if they find a dead body, for instance, laying on its stomach, but on the back, you have this purplish blotchy lividity. Well, they know that the body's been moved. It means the person died on their back and was on their back for a while. And then they were moved and turned over. So that's why you're not supposed to move a dead body. Now, if you read the Justice Department report, which only has a what, one page about Jeff's death, they described the way he was hanging. They said that he was in a seated position. And you have to picture this. He was in a seated position with his legs extended out in front of him. And he was hanging, you know, from his neck, by the thing around his neck, from the top bunk of the bunk beds. And when they cut him down, his buttocks was about an inch or an inch and a half off the ground. Okay, so if you- Can I just ask that, you, because I've heard you say that before. I don't understand that. If they cut him down, how could he still have been hanging? Well, they said they found him hanging and then they cut him down to, to get him out of there. Because right, but why wouldn't his buttocks be on the floor? I, like, why wouldn't he be? Well, because they were saying his buttocks, well, because he was hanging and the, the thing around his neck was holding him off the ground. But it in this version, they've cut him down. Well, after he after they found him, he's been dead for a couple of hours hanging like that. Mm -hmm. So then but they said when they cut him down, they his, his buttocks were off the ground 
and then they cut him down and he, he came down the inch and inch and a half. Okay, so when they found him and he was hanging, the buttocks were an inch and a half off the ground, and then they cut him down. Correct. Now I got it. Correct. Okay, so now if you picture that, and he's been hanging for at least two hours, it could have been six hours, but at least two, you would expect to find the lividity, the blood pooling in his buttocks, and especially in the back of his legs, because that was the lowest point, and that's where the blood would settle. But the autopsy photos, I have other autopsy photos, shows that his legs were clear. And his buttocks were clear. There is some lividity on his back. We're looking at some now. We don't, we, we don't see the back of his legs in this photo, but certainly what we can no, see of the legs does not show any. I just photo of his neck. Right. Yes, but we have that. the photographs don't show that. And there is some lividity on his back. But uh, if he was only dead for two hours and then they laid him down, that lividity on his back could have come afterwards. So that's not conclusive. But the fact that his legs are clear, even if they laid him down, the blood would not have drained up from his legs into his back unless he was hung upside down. Mm-hmm. You know, so the fact that his legs and buttocks are clear from lividity, it leads doubt to the fact that he was found the way they described. So the well, question would, yeah. there is, you know, was his body moved at some point? That That's at the heart of it there. But what I remember from that day, the images, I remember he was on a stretcher, like yes. a hospital stretcher. And was what, in a hospital my memory, gown. Yeah. Didn't they take him to a hospital? Well, they, they had him on a stretcher. We assume a lot of things, Rick. What, no, no one said he was taken to a hospital. But he was. I remember the seeing a picture of him on a hospital stretcher. And in a hospital gown, too. I mean, who But was? if he had been dead for two to six hours, why would you take him to the hospital? You wouldn't. So uh, Unless you had a narrative you were creating. Now, the, the, the image that you saw there on the screen, and Mark's going to go into more detail about this, why the way that the mark was on Jeffrey Epstein's neck is very important to note. Because the way that the ligature marks on the neck of Jeffrey Epstein suggest more of a someone came up from behind and garroted him rather than hanging. Mm-hmm. And he'll explain this uh, in our, our next clip here. Well, apparently he broke four bones in his neck. Right. So, um, But Mark Epstein does make a really solid point here in this next clip that suggests that Jeffrey Epstein if you believe the narrative, was strangled instead of hung himself. So let's watch this. That photo you gave us, Mark, is that of the, of the autopsy and the, you know, the, the mark around the neck. I'm not an expert in this, but it certainly looks to me, I, I have a hard time as a layperson understanding how a sheet made that mark. Maybe we can put it back up so people can see it, as opposed to it, it looks almost more like a garrote was used or some sort of rope wire what did Dr. Right. Biden other, say about that? Well, yeah. They, well, when they came out of the autopsy, they did, both doctors said it looks more like what's called a ligature strangulation. That's where, like a garage, where you go behind and you pull yeah. something tight along somebody's neck. The other reason I sent the photograph, because, again, picture the way they described he was hanging. His body was off the ground, right? His buttocks were off the ground, and his legs were extended in front of him. So there was probably some weight on his feet, on you know, the lower part of his legs. Yep. But the bulk of his body weight was hanging by the neck from the, supposedly the top bunk. Got if it. that's the case, and, and you could find photographs of people hanging, you know, from old lynching photographs or wartime photographs, you know, the ligature, the thing around the neck, goes high up under the chin and comes up behind the ears. 
That makes you know, sense. So high up on the chin. Yeah. You know, and if you look at the picture, I mean, I don't have the video. I can't see what's what you're exactly what you're showing right now. But from that picture, the ligature mark on his neck is more in the middle of his neck and sort of goes straight back. Yeah. So again, no, it does. It doesn't hanging, look like it's got an upward trajectory. I mean, maybe a tiny, tiny bit, but not like you would expect in a hanging. Yeah, in a hanging, it goes really high up in the front of your neck because you you, know, you sink down into that noose or what ligature, whatever was used, and it just goes, it goes really tight up under your chin and back behind your ears if it's in, you know in the middle of your of your neck. So it's again, it, it, this is not the way his body was found, it, or the way he was, they described the way he was found is not backed up by the autopsy evidence. But we're going to pass a bill that's going to label Russia a state sponsor of terrorism because Lindsey Graham knows for certain that Vladimir Putin ordered the murder of Alexei Navalny. Is that right? That's right. Uh, we've got another one more clip I want to show you. Um, and, and Mr. Epstein, Mark Epstein, uh, asks the question, who who were the two unnamed security guards that were mentioned in the suicide report? But we haven't yet touched on the number of things that would have had to go wrong or right, depending on your viewpoint, on the cell block that night for this thing to go off the way it did. I mean, the the two guards who were in charge say, oh, you know what? We just didn't make our rounds. Uh, the cameras that would have caught anything like this just happened to stop working like within a matter of days before the alleged suicide. Um, there, It was like th- one thing after another that happened to work, you know, as I say, in Jeffrey's favor, if he really did want to commit suicide or in a murderer's favor, if they wanted to murder him and not be caught. And that the stuff on the cell block was very suspicious. Yes, but let, let me interject something there. The two guards that we know about, you know, Tova Noel and Michael Thomas. Uh, first of all, Michael Thomas came on shift in the middle of the night. Okay, now the, the tier was locked up about roughly 10 o'clock at night, the night before. So Michael Thomas came on shift in the middle of the night, and he's the one who found Jeff in the morning when he went to serve breakfast or something, about six something in the morning. Okay, so there's never just one guard there. And there was mention in the early paperwork, early stories, that when they locked up the cell, when Tova Noel was there, there was also an unnamed guard number one and an unnamed guard number two were were mentioned. So the question becomes, who was unnamed guard number one and who was unnamed guard number two? Who are they? Where are they today? Were they actually prison guards or was there somebody put in to maybe leave cell doors unlocked? So mm. why are these people unnamed when we know Tova Noel and Michael Thomas's name? Uh, that was the first I'd heard about that the other day. About two unnamed security guards in the pro- probably the most high profile prisoner case in the country, at, at least the, at that time. We knew who those two security guards were. They came out with those, those names pretty quick, within the, a week. Doc, I'm still waiting on... The identification of who drowned Barack Obama's chef <laughs> in three feet of water. Naked. Naked. A man who could swim. A dozen victims of Jeffrey Epstein 
I had filed a lawsuit accusing the FBI of covering up the uh, sex trafficking network that Epstein was running. Uh, The victims are all identified as Jane Doe. So there's over a a dozen Jane Doe's in this lawsuit. Um, But they said um, the FBI received credible tips as early as 1996 that Epstein was trafficking young girls, but failed to interview the victims or share what it knew with federal and local law enforcement. The victims said the FBI began finally began to probe in 2006, but ended the investigation two years later after Epstein pleaded guilty in a Florida prostitution charge. That's the one that uh, Alan Dershowitz arranged that sweetheart uh, yes. sentence that, that Jeffrey Epstein uh, served time in a county jail and got released and sent home every night right. to his Palm Beach mansion. The complaint says as a direct and proximate cause of the FBI's negligence, plaintiffs would not have been continued to be sex trafficked, abused, raped, tortured, and threatened. Jane Doe's 1 through 12 bring this lawsuit to get to the bottom once and for all of the FBI's role in Epstein's criminal sex trafficking ring. Let's uh, take a break for an announcement from American Reserves. And here's our, our good buddy, Jake. Jake the blacksmith, Jake the welder, who is a, uh, a real genuine True News fan. He's not an actor. He's just like you, and he made this commercial for American Reserves. I'm Jake, but my friends call me Moose Shaw. I'm a blacksmith, and I like to work with my hands. I watch True News, and it's apparent to me that we are in World War III, and the U.S. is very unstable. I have faith in God. But he expects us to use our brains and our hands to prepare for trouble times. There are two things we need, food and water. That's why I buy my supplies from AmericanReserves.com. American Reserves offers easy-to-prepare chicken and beef meals, pastas, soups, and vegetables that only need boiling water. You can purchase the world-famous British Burkefield gravity-fed water filters equipped with Dalton ceramic candles and other emergency supplies at AmericanReserves.com. My family's security is critical to me. Something big is coming. Procrastination could be costly. Act today before a crisis suddenly appears. Be ready. Be wise. Go to AmericanReserves.com. And American Reserves is offering a 15% discount to the Friends of True News for the remainder of the month of February. The promo code is True News. Go to AmericanReserves.com, choose the items you want to buy, and when you go to checkout, add True News to the promo code box. 15% of your entire order will be automatically deducted. By the way, I also want to tell you, and, and this has been... I know for several months, um, all orders at American Reserves, shipping is included. It's You're not paying extra for shipping. There's no shipping charge at the end when you go to check out. Well, that's good. Yeah. So there's good benefits there at American Reserves. A, a major event that's held every year in Germany is called the Munich 
Security Conference, and this is a, uh, it's called the uh, Davos of Defense. That's pretty pretty good description. It's there. where the Western deep state guys meet to talk about war. Well, guess who was there? None other than President Zelensky. He brought his beggar's cup, and he demanded that they fill his cup with lots of weapons. Here is Mr. Zelensky. Please. Do not ask Ukraine when the war will end. Ask yourself, why is Putin still able to continue it? Let's not fear Putin's defeat and the destruction of his regime. Let's instead work together to destroy what he stands for. It is his fate to lose, not the fate of the rules-based world order to vanish. Please be grateful to our warriors and may our world based on rules never become the world of yesterday. So the Putin is threatening the world order. Yes. The rules-based world order. Okay. Which sounds good. Who wrote the we, rules? We, we make them up as we go along. But it's, it's there, the Western no written set of rules. Of course not. It's, it's what fits the West. Uh, but he's talking about the new world order of post-World War II. That new world order is dying quickly. It's dying. And so they're openly admitting, hey, this war is about preserving what remains of the new world order. Yes. Because if this thing goes down, there's going to be a new new world order and we're not going to be in control. We're not going to be writing the rules. So we have to win. How desperate how desperate are the Western leaders to keep Zelensky in the game? I came across this story this morning. I just I shook my it. head. Unbelievable, Doc. Telegraph. Denmark gives all. <laughs> folks, let me read this again. Denmark gives all of its artillery shells to Ukraine. Here you go, Mr. Zelensky. You can have it all. We're not going to keep one shell to protect our country. We're going to give everything to you to protect Ukraine. If I were a citizen of Denmark, I would be demanding the resignation of every government person involved in this idiotic decision. Why why have a government? Yes. You really the only job a government is to build roads and make sure no one blows us up, right? Right. It's to to defend the homeland and and build a prosperous future for the people who live on the homeland. Right. Anyhow, it says Denmark's prime minister said on Sunday that her country was handing over all of its shells to Ukraine. She urged European states to provide more weapons. Uh, Met uh, Fredriksson said at the Munich Security Conference, we've decided to donate our entire artillery. Give this woman the prize for the biggest idiot of 2024. She said, I'm sorry to say, friends, there is still ammunition in stock in Europe. She's embarrassed. She's sorry for it. She's saying, I know that some of these countries here in Europe, are they're hiding weapons from Zelensky. They're hiding them, Doc. They're refusing to share. We'll she just give them all of ours, though. She doesn't even suggest share. She's, she's suggesting surrender everything to Zelensky. 
She said, this is not only a question about production because we have weapons, we have ammunition, we have our defenses that we don't have to use at the moment that we should deliver to Ukraine. We have to do, do more. Ms. Fredrickson said Denmark would soon deliver F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine. She acknowledged that NATO countries had done a lot to aid Ukraine in its war. She said, I, I think it's quite clear to all of us that it's not enough. We have to speed up and scale up. Doc, over the weekend, um, I stopped at uh, my local barber shop, got my hair cut, and I was talking to, uh, you know, my barber. And, and uh, he was telling me that he just uh, last week went and bought a lot of ammo. Okay. And he said, I can't believe how much I had to pay for the ammo. Yeah, it's, it's gone up a lot. <laughs> and he said, what, what's wrong? What's going on? What, why is ammo going up? See, he didn't know why. So I explained it to him. Because we're shipping everything to Zelensky. So you are paying very high prices for ammo so you can enjoy your sports shooting. See, he, he, didn't, have any, he didn't have any connection in his mind. Why? Well, what's causing ammo to go up? I've never seen price jumps like this. So once I explained it to him, he's like, why are we doing this? <laughs> I don't care about Ukraine. Well, your politicians do. And you're going to pay the price for it. You're going to give up everything so Zelensky has what he needs to continue the war against Putin. And Medvedev told us, you guys keep it up and we're going to turn out your lights permanently. We're done with you people. American Reserves, <laughs> you should give them a visit, AmericanReserves.com. Uh, Novasti, NATO soldiers are fighting in Ukraine under the guise of mercenaries. I believe that. Now, so, this is an accusation from Russian Colonel General Sergei Ruskoy. He made this interview, uh, statement in an interview with a Russian paper. Uh, he said NATO troops are fighting in Ukraine. Uh you know, under the guise of being foreign mission uh, mercenaries, he said NATO servicemen under the guise of mercenaries are participating in hostilities. They control air defense systems of operational tactical missiles and multiple launch rocket systems and are part of assault detachments. According to the Russian general, NATO officers are directly preparing military operations of the Ukrainian armed forces. And another story from Russia, and again, we have no way that we can uh, verify these uh, these stories, just like I can't verify anything Fox News and CNN report. I'm just telling you, this is what's out there. Uh, Novosti reporting that the armed forces of Ukraine used American-made chemical munitions against Russian troops, basically nerve gas. Uh, we're going to take a break. Our station identification. We've got some more news coming up in the second hour, and then today's morning man a lesson. You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find true news on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter.
Welcome back to hour number two of True News. I appreciate those of you who support us financially. We need your help. We need your support. I'm asking humbly, respectfully for you to support us. Do something every month in the year 2024. Might be your last year to do anything. Let's get it done for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our address is P.O. Box 399, Vero Beach, Florida. P.O. Box 399, Vero Beach, Florida. Zip code 32961. Phone number 800-576-2116. 800-576-2116. And, of course, our our web address, truenews.com, where you can donate online. Please, we really need your support this month. Got a number of stories I want to get through. I've got five minutes to do this. I'm just going to go through the headlines because you need to know about all these World War III reports. Uh, Lee, I'm going to go to number 21. Uh, this was published by the Maritime Executive. That's a new one for me, Doc. Yes. First, I'm, I'm first sure time I'm visit there. That one. Houthi militants deploy a drone submarine for the first time. This is according to the U.S. Central Command, CENTCOM. Now I want to go to number 22 from Reuters. Yemen's Houthis claim attack on ship in the Gulf of Aden say it could sink. This happened today. A cargo ship, it's a British cargo ship. Uh, The Houthis are claiming that they did a direct hit on the ship. And that it was taking water. And it's taking on water. And according to the uh, British newspapers, this is true. The, The ship appears like it's going to go down. In the Gulf, uh, Doc. I'll tell you this. Uh, over the weekend, also besides getting my hair cut, I got my oil changed. Okay, so all right, all right. So full, full I was very then. busy over the weekend. So um, I always use a synthetic blend in my vehicles, right? And so I, I told the the mechanic I want a synthetic blend, and he goes, "Mr. Wiles, we don't have any right now." I go, "You're sold out." He goes, "We can't get any. This is a this is a you know a franchise oil change." unit really yes i said you you don't have any synthetic blend he goes no sir i said why he said it's that stuff going on over there in the middle east with those houthis it's the houthis doing it it's huh? the houthis are doing it and he said it, it has disrupted the supply and our company cannot purchase any synthetic blend wow so that's the first time that i have personally been affected by what's going on in the Middle East with the Houthis bombing and attacking cargo vessels. Just heads up for you. Things that could go wrong. Now, I want to, this is the big one I want you to know about. Number 23, Telegraph in London today. Houthis could attack Britain's underwater Internet cables. I want to read very quickly. Houthi rebels could attack Britain's underwater Internet cables, a new report warned. The... Iran-backed militia have conducted drone and missile attacks against ships in the Red Sea. A report by Policy Exchange has warned that the Houthis could broaden their response to the conflict by taking it to the sea, subsea domain and targeting underwater cables. UK companies among the consortia which own the Red Sea cables, with British Telcom owning a stake in the major AAE one cable that runs from Europe through Africa to Asia. Policy Exchange has warned that the Iran-backed 
Houthis have indicated on official social media channels that they could target the cables. The report further further warns that the Houthis have combat diver training and possess an array of naval mines which could damage cables at shallower depths. The report said while these groups are not thought to possess the equipment necessary to conduct sophisticated subsea warfare, Iran could provide such capabilities. And it goes on to talk about the damage of what would happen to Western nations if the sub if the sea cables are cut. Doc communications yes. ends, internet traffic ends, a lot of financial transactions end. How are you going to send the money? You can't wire the money from one continent to the other. Right. Um, but this isn't a story that has been off your radar for any length of time. We, you've been talking about this for two decades, Rick. Oh, I know. But finally, it's here and it's happening. There's a lot of stuff happening at one time. Another story. This is I-24 News in Israel. Israel blew up two major pipelines in Iran. This week. And they're bragging about it. They're not hiding it. They're going, how did that happen? No, the Israelis are saying, yeah, we did it. Inside Iran. Israel carried out covert attacks on two major gas pipelines inside Iran this week, the New York Times reported, citing two Western officials and a military strategist affiliated with the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. Um, How do you think the Iranians are going to respond to this? They're probably going to have a reaction to it. They're going to blow up something, folks. Uh, The Israelis in the West together are provoking Iran. They're provoking uh, Russia. They're provoking a lot of nations. And one of these days... They're going to punch back. You better be ready when they punch back. we got to go. Coming up, Morning Manna. Are you concerned about this economic storm and how your IRA and 401k will fare during these turbulent times? Top experts are predicting now is the time to be protecting your assets with physical gold and silver. Find out why Genesis Gold Group is the number one recommended company by your favorite preppers and homestead channels. Receive Genesis Gold Group's free definitive gold guide today or give them a call at 800-200-GOLD. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this beautiful day, Father. Thank you for creation. Thank you for the beautiful earth that you made for your children. Father, thank you for the promise of a new earth for your children. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit to take charge of today's morning manna Bible study and teach us your word. Illuminate our hearts and minds to better see the glory and majesty of your son, Jesus Christ, and the greatness of his kingdom. In his name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, Dr. Number, uh, verse 6, Matthew 5. All right. So, uh, first of all, welcome to everyone here to Morning Manna, and uh, we appreciate you uh, checking in with us. Already 15 countries that have checked in this morning, and uh, we appreciate you uh, taking time out of your schedule to be with us. We're in Matthew chapter 5 today, continue our study in the uh, Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, 
And uh, what one verse today we're focusing on is verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. All right. So, Doc, what's, what's the volume of the duck choir today? Oh, I'd say about a three or four. It's not that bad. Okay. I, I, I fed them about a half an hour earlier, but they're still here. There's nothing left to eat, but they're still here. So I just wanted to make sure they weren't disturbing anybody. They're just praising God this morning, Rick. <laughs> there's, there's about 50 of them in the yard right now. Um, Beatitude number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Uh, before I, I proceed with today's lesson on righteousness, I, I, uh, I want to point out what appears to be a pairing of the Beatitudes. Mourners are paired with the meek. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are paired with the merciful. Hmm. The pure in heart are paired with the peacemakers. One in each pair is a root and the other is a fruit. Huh. All right, I'm, I'm going to say that again. One beatitude in each pair is a root and the other in the pair is a fruit. I'll go over that again. Mourners are paired with the meek. Mourning is the root. Meekness is the fruit. Um, hunger and thirsting for righteousness is the root. Mercy is the fruit. Purity of heart is the root. Peacemaking is the fruit. Um, I want to recap what we've learned so far about the Beatitudes. Um, the Beatitudes are the foundation of the New Covenant Commandments. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan referred to the Sermon on the Mount as the Great Manifesto. Um, Morgan, in his sermons, painted a glorious picture of Jesus ascending to the top of the mountain and declaring his great manifesto of the new covenant. The, the emphasis is on being, not doing. And we've learned that the word blessed means happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst. Uh, also, we learned that the, the Beatitudes are arranged in a sequential order. One follows the other in order. As, as Jesus established the order, we must master them in order. The first one leads to the second. The second leads to the third. So now let's take a look at our fourth Beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus said, those who hunger, who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness will be satisfied and they will be happy. The first thing I see is the difference 
in, in the nature of a fourth beatitude in comparison to the first three. In poverty of spirit, in mourning over our sinful nature, in meekness, uh, we are in possession of the three virtues. We're in possession of them. We have a our spirit uh, in the first one. We, we, we are poor in spirit, meaning we, we recognize our sinfulness. In the second one, we mourn. We, we, we are mourning. We're mourning over our fallen nature. In meekness, we are first meek towards God because of our poverty of spirit, because we are mourning our deplorable condition as, as wretched creatures who need a savior. So in those first three, we are in possession of the three virtues. However, in the fourth beatitude, we are seeking, not possessing. Mm, that's, that's good. And it is a perpetual state of seeking. It's a perpetual state of hunger and thirst. You don't hunger and thirst for righteousness one time, obtain it, and move on to beatitude number five. Instead, you must continuously hunger and thirst for righteousness all the days of your life. Yes. See, in poverty of spirit, I don't have to continuously seek it. I'm aware of it. I possess it. I have it. In mourning, in meekness, but with hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're satisfied in the present and yet need more tomorrow. Right. You're hungry today, but you'll you'll be hungry again tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Um our our hunger and thirst reaches a pitch comparable to physical cravings for food and water. Think of times when you were very hungry or very thirsty. Obtaining food or water was the only thing on your mind. Nothing else mattered. Um, there have been times I've been so hungry, I've, I've, I've made jokes. I said, I could eat the bark off a tree. You're just hungry. you got to get some food. When you are parched, when your throat is dry, when your body is craving water, you have to find it. Nothing else matters. You, you, when you're in that state, you, you don't stop searching for food or water until you find something to satisfy your hunger or quench your thirst. Yes. So the same thing must be true for craving righteousness. See, it's not just desiring it. Hey, I'd like to have some righteousness. No, your soul must crave it. Yes. Like your body craves food and water. Obtaining righteousness must be the only thing on your mind. Nothing else will matter. Nothing else will satisfy. 
The search must continue until you find enough to satisfy your soul for that day. And tomorrow, the hunger will return and the search must begin anew. Right. Now, the blessing promised by Jesus is not given for the acquisition of righteousness. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So this promise is not given because you have acquired righteousness. Instead, the blessing is bestowed when God sees in us an insatiable desire for righteousness. It is the desire that is rewarded. This, that's a really important point. It's not the one-time obtaining of righteousness that is rewarded. What God is looking for is the desire for righteousness. It also seems to imply that there's a daily need for righteousness, not a one-time, yes. you know, Precisely. If you only ate, if you only ate once a week, you you die eventually because you're not getting nutrition every day. But that righteousness right. is the nutrition of the spirit, and we need it every single day. You got it. That's precisely right, Doc. The hunger and thirst spoken of by Jesus are not past tense. Jesus did not say, "Blessed are those who previously hungered and thirst after righteousness." The, the language in Matthew 5, 6 is present tense. It is active, ongoing, perpetual, always yearning for more. It's one thing <laughs> that Jesus says in his kingdom, you can get all you want and come back and get more and more and more. There's no limitations. Right. In fact, you're encouraged to, to, to come and dine often. Another important point is that righteousness is based on God's definition, not mankind's definition. Amen. Men, man, men and women, you know, we would define righteousness in religious terms. Um, you know, certain churches have ways of behavior, ways of dress. And, and people would define that as righteousness, holiness. But righteousness, in its most simple definition, is right standing with God. It means that your character, your conscience, your conduct, your words are pleasing to God, acceptable to him. It means your fidelity to God. Your commitment to keep his commandments, to obey him. Righteousness is defined by God's standard, not man's standard. Amen. And so when we pursue, we hunger and thirst for righteousness as God defines it, we shall be satisfied. It means pursuing holiness, growing 
in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is earnestly and diligently seeking Christ's character to be prepared for living forever in his kingdom. Yes. Now, this next point is very important. You cannot separate righteousness from faith in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Let me walk you through this. I'm going to say this again. You cannot separate righteousness from faith in Christ. The first mention of righteousness in the Holy Bible is in Genesis 15, 6. The verse refers to Abram. And he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him for righteousness. If Abraham is the father of our faith, then we must study what the Bible says about Abraham's righteousness. Abraham's faith went beyond trusting in the truth of God's promise to him. It rested upon Abraham's trust in the God who made the promise. That's another, that's another diamond you should put in your pocket for this morning manna. See, I, I'm not criticizing. I, I, I've, I've watched, I've listened to a lot of, of, of Bible teachers on television and radio. And yes, they are absolutely teaching people to trust in God's promises. But they, they don't go farther and, and teach the people to trust in the God who made the promise. Yes. If you trust in the God who made the promise, believing the promise is easy. <laughs> Amen. I like that. That's why a lot of people struggle with believing the promises. Because they've not come to the place of believing the God who made the promise. Apostle Paul wrote about Abraham's unwavering trust and confidence in God's promise. Romans 4, verses 19 and 21. And without being weakened in faith, he considered his own body now as good as dead, he being about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, looking unto the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Jesus Christ is the perfect revelation of Almighty God. If you want to see God, study Jesus. That was uh, what the Lord spoke to me many years ago. I... I I was falling in love with my heavenly father. And I said, I want to see you. And he said, son, then study my son. Study my son, Jesus. You will not have any more revelation of me in this life than what I've given you through my son, Jesus. Amen. Jesus fulfilled the law. 
everyone who believes in Jesus is made right with God by Jesus's righteousness. Oh, now we're getting to the heart of this beatitude in hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ that we must hunger and thirst for, not ours. Romans 3, verse 21 through 26. But now, apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been revealed, being testified by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all those who believe. Yes. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's the poverty of spirit. The mourning. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God sent to be an atoning sacrifice. Through faith in his blood for a demonstration of his righteousness through the passing over of prior sins in God's forbearance to demonstrate his righteousness at this present time that he might himself be just and the justifier of him who has faith in Jesus. Doc, you want to break that down and explain it in simple terms, what Paul meant? Basically, that it our our righteousness is no no righteousness within ourselves at all. There is no way we can have right standing with God as a result of anything that we do. Our identification for righteousness is in Jesus Christ. But how is that righteousness applied? That righteousness is applied by faith in the blood of Christ. That His righteousness stands in in the place of our righteousness. Our righteousness is empty. It's like a hollow shell. Christ fills up that hollow shell with his righteousness. That's how we're justified there at the end. Okay, so the important thing to, to discern, to understand, is that in this beatitude, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied. We are not seeking our righteousness Yes. We're not hungering and thirsting for our righteousness. Yes. We will be satisfied when we hunger and thirst for his righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Yes. I don't want to eat a filthy rag. And in the, in the original, uh, the filthy rags were actually the minstrel rags that women would use and would be thrown out on the, the dung heap outside the city. That's the value of our righteousness right there. It's to be, it, it's bloody, it's smelly, and it's thrown out in the garbage. That's the value of our righteousness. So it's blood that has no atoning value. Yes, Righteousness is the God-given quality imputed to men and women upon believing in Christ. Romans 4, verses 1 through 11. Brothers, 
my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for Israel, that they may be saved. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. He's talking about the Jews. Yes. They didn't subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness of the law. The one who does not, the one who does them will live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith says this. Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth. And in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Yes. For with the heart. One believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, confession results in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. You will be satisfied. Hallelujah. You'll be you filled. will be satisfied. You'll be filled. You will be filled and need more. Romans 1, verse 17, Paul said, for in it is revealed God's righteousness righteousness from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. God accepted Abraham on account of his faith, considered him righteous because of his faith. It wasn't that God, I mean, that Abraham believed the promise. He believed the God who made the promise. The acceptance was not based on Abraham's works, but on his faith. Abraham's justification occurred. Now listen to this. Abraham was, was justified by God while he was uncircumcised. Yes, and that's important. Yes. Wait a minute. Abraham wasn't even a Jew. That's right. And yet he's the father of our faith. The object of Abraham's faith is the Lord himself, not just his promises. Faith is not merely an intellectual assent to doctrine, but it is, it, it is centered on a personal trust in God. Yes. And the object of faith remains consistent across the ages. It is Christ, the historic Christ the living Christ, the returning Christ. Despite Abraham's imperfections, and he had a lot of them, his trust in God was counted as righteousness. Yes. So it underscores the truth that faith is accepted by God as equivalent to righteousness. Listen to what I just said. Faith is accepted by God as equal to righteousness. 
So standing atop the mountain, Jesus, King Jesus. This is King Jesus on the mount. And this humble king addressed a handful of followers, of devotees who expressed interest in citizenship in his kingdom. If you would have seen it in those days, and we don't know how many disciples went up. It was more than the 12. Could have been the 70, could have been the 500. We don't know. Right. It's just he called his disciples, not the masses of the people. They stayed down at the bottom of the mountain. Only the disciples were invited to the top. But it doesn't matter. Was it 50, 60, 100? It doesn't matter. If you were a passerby and looked up there on that mountain and saw this and asked somebody down at the bottom, what's going on? Well, that is King Jesus. He is announcing his kingdom. The average person would have laughed. He's doing what? There's one guy up there <laughs> with a couple hundred people, and he's a king? <clears throat> he would have said, oh, he's crazy. All right. But this is the king, and he's announcing the constitution of his kingdom. Yes. With supreme confidence. He told the people gathered on that mountain that they had to possess a poverty of spirit, which would admit their own insufficiency to erase their sins. And then following their admission of their unworthiness to be in his kingdom, they must mourn their deplorable, wretched state apart from this merciful king. And then recognition and mourning of their sinful nature would produce genuine meekness, which starts first in complete submission to this king's perfect will. Right. These are the promises this man is making to the small crowd. And then yielding to the divine will of God is the true, the root of true meekness which will prepare you to withstand the attacks, the insults, the indignities, the wrongs committed against others by others who are not in submission to God's will. This is what this, this king is proclaiming to the small crowd. I'm telling you, somebody, if they had been listening in, they would have said, hey, we ought to go get a straitjacket for this guy. <laughs> This guy is out of it. What? Listen to what he's promising these people. They need to obey him completely, and he'll make them happy. I mean, you know, they, they were saying, it's, this is a cult. It's interesting. So when a man or a woman arrives at this spiritual state of being, a hunger and thirst for true righteousness will spring forth deep within their soul. 
So I mentioned at the beginning, the first three Beatitudes must be acquired and possessed by our souls. Spiritual poverty, mourning, and meekness. Hunger and thirsting for righteousness is ongoing. It is perpetual throughout our lives until the day we die. Jesus satisfies our hunger and thirst today, but tomorrow our hunger and thirst must be satisfied again. Amen. And although it must be a perpetual need for spiritual nourishment, it is our responsibility to remain in a spiritual state that automatically produces the continued hunger and thirst. See, Jesus will not make you hungry and thirsty for righteousness. He will satisfy it. It's up to each of us to make us hungry and thirsty. I can't make you be hungry and thirsty for his righteousness. And you can't make me be hungry and thirsty. Right. It's our individual responsibility to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. But it is Jesus' responsibility to satisfy our spiritual hunger and thirst. Right. You know, it's Rick, our responsibility. Yeah, go ahead, I was just going to say, uh, you grew up in a rural area. I grew up on a farm and, of course, been around farm animals, all, you know, all of our early lives. And if you came across, let's say, your horse or one of your cows and they were not eating, they'd lost their appetite. That would be a sign of illness or disease in yes. the animal. Yes. The, the, the fact that they have no appetite means there's something that's not right. There's something that's off. Same thing with us, too. I mean, if we go to the doctor's office, and doctor will ask us, how's your appetite? And if we you know, haven't been eating correctly or haven't really been that hungry, that's a sign there's something off in, in, the, yes. uh, in the body, and it has to be yeah. corrected. That's right. Good point. So it's Jesus's responsibility to satisfy our hunger and thirst, but it's our responsibility to make sure we remain in a constant state of hunger and thirst, yes. a perpetual longing for the righteousness of Jesus. And although we must be diligent to keep the hunger and thirst alive and growing, the acquisition of his righteousness is not the result of our works, but of our faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. See, I, I have to work at keeping myself hungry and thirsty for righteousness, but my works to make myself hungry and thirsty for righteousness is not what is is not what produces the satisfaction. It's my faith in the resurrected Christ, in the God who, who saved my soul. That's what satisfies me. Blessed, happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. For they shall be filled. That's a promise from the king himself. He and told the meager pop. Yeah, go ahead, Doc. I was just going to say, and there's another one of those contradictions. When you're hungry, are you usually happy? You, <laughs> ever, see those, you, you ever see those Snickers commercials where they're where, where they're hangry? It's uh, you're hungry, 
and you're angry at the same time, it's almost there's a dissatisfaction when you're hungry. And yet here we have in this beatitude, happy when you're hungry. That is a really excellent point. We're, our happiness is in our state of hunger. In the natural, we're happy after we've had a big meal or, or, or drank a cold glass of water or something. But in this case, we're happy when we're, when we're hungry. It's really, it's, Doc, it's a really important point. Um, so they shall be filled. That's a promise from King Jesus. He told the meager population of citizens of his kingdom gathered on that mountaintop that he, their king, would satisfy their hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, these are grandiose promises made by a guy in a robe and sandals standing on top of a mountain with a couple hundred people saying, if you hunger and thirst for my righteousness, I will satisfy you. And it's no wonder that the Jewish leaders said all kinds of things about him. Because in the natural, I mean, th this stuff is like really out there, right? Yes. Take note that all of Jesus' promises to his citizens contain present and future fulfillment. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did not say the kingdom shall be yours someday. Within this promise is the guarantee to possess the kingdom now in this life and fully in the world to come. Yes. Yes. All born again, baptized, Holy Spirit filled, Bible believing believers are citizens of the kingdom now. In this physical world, we don't see the fullness of the kingdom. We're in the kingdom, and yet the kingdom isn't fully manifested. But when Jesus returns and creates a new earth, we will experience the full manifestation of the kingdom of God in all its glory. Nevertheless, we are in the kingdom now, and we can appropriate certain benefits to assist us in this life. So the promise is present and future. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus did not say, you shall be comforted someday. He sent the Holy Spirit to comfort us now. But there's a day coming when comforting will not be needed. Perpetual comfort. Eternal peace. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus did not say that someday we shall inherit the earth. The earth is ours now, but it is illegally occupied by Satan. Yes. He's a squatter, a trespasser, has no legal right to possess the earth. He didn't create the earth. He can't create anything but havoc and misery. 
God made the earth for his children made in his image. But Jesus said the meek shall inherit the earth. God gave Adam dominion over the earth, but he surrendered it to Satan. We have been redeemed by the last Adam, sent by God to undo the mess caused by the first Adam. Yes. Right now, many American cities are currently experiencing problems with homeless people occupying the homes of other people and refusing to move out. Yes. That's a, this is a big story going on around the country right now. I mean, people just That's moving into houses and assuming occupancy, they don't have ownership. They don't have any legal right to be there. And yet, if they're there for a certain length of time, the, the government says you can't make them move out. It doesn't That's make right. any sense. So we've got some government officials and, and court judges frustrating the efforts of the legal homeowners to evict them. Yes. Who rightfully legally owns the house? The homeowner or the trespasser? Of course, the homeowner. Yet the illegal trespasser refuses to budge. Our present-day dominion over the earth is limited because of Adam's sin. He invited Satan to come in and be a squatter on earth. But we, we can operate within the framework allowed to us in God's present economy on earth. Yes. There is a day coming, however, when we will inherit the earth, but it will not be this old, sin-filled, blood-soaked planet. It will be a new earth, spotless and clean, undefiled by human sins. Amen. All right, I'm going to get, I'm going to tell you something risky to do this because it's so easy to misunderstand what I'm saying. I've lived in Florida now ten years. Um, at various times, hurricanes have come very, very close to um, the Treasure Coast, which is where we're at, Vero Beach. Treasure Coast is Vero Beach, Fort Pierce, Fort St. Lucie. It's called the Treasure Coast. Over those 10 years, hurricanes have come very, very close, some very serious hurricanes. Um, remember when the, um, the Fox News commentator <laughs> said, if you haven't left, you're going to die tonight. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Boy, that was really encouraging. I have prayed and I've asked other people to join me in praying to push the hurricane away from the shore. I've prayed things like, Father, push it away from the shore, split its eye, weaken the storm. And I've watched it happen. I've watched the very things that I prayed for. I've watched it happen. And we've not been hit by a hurricane since I've lived here. This is what puzzled me. Because those hurricanes, we, we've seen them move away from the shore of Vero Beach. We've seen the eye break up. And then later come back together and become a strong storm again. Yes. And I've prayed and I said, Lord, I don't understand this because I have I prayed 
Lord, send the send the storm away from the coast of Florida, away from Georgia, South Carolina, but it still goes ahead and hits those places. I don't understand it. You protected us here, but it the storm came made landfall on other places. This is what I'm going to tell you what I believe the Holy Spirit said to me. And look, it's subject to um it's subject to uh, analysis and criticism. I understand that. What I believe the Holy Spirit said to me was, Rick, I've given each believer limited authority over the earth. You and every other believer in Vero Beach has authority to protect Vero Beach, your home. You don't have authority over the other cities. It is the responsibility of the believers in those cities to exercise their authority. If there's no man or woman in those other cities with faith in me and my word, then there's nothing to stop the storm. So we have limited authority, dominion over the earth. But there'll be a day that we have, we will inherit a new earth. Yes. And it will be ruled by one king, Jesus Christ. So what right does Jesus have to make grandiose promises to his disciples? people who choose to be citizens of his kingdom. The cross gave him every right to make such promises. He had not physically gone to the cross yet, but spiritually he had already done so. At the cross, he conquered Satan and sin. He took away from the devil the keys of hell and death. It is his righteousness that we must hunger and thirst for each day. Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9. Yes, most certainly, and I count all things to be a loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them nothing but refuse, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. What is the principle Jesus desires us to know in Matthew 5, verse 6, in this beatitude? Essentially, it is this. Our physical body has a natural appetite. Likewise, our soul has a spiritual appetite. If we feed our physical body the wrong foods, we will later pay a price in poor health. If we feed our soul the wrong spiritual food, we will later pay a price in, in poor spiritual health. Jesus said we should hunger and thirst for his righteousness, which means right standing with God. When you are in Christ, you are righteous because he is seated next to his heavenly father. 
we are seated in heavenly places. If he is righteous, you are righteous. If you are in Christ. Our body depends on earthly sustenance and our soul depends on heavenly sustenance. Heavenly food cannot physically nourish your body and worldly things cannot nourish your soul. Each has its proper nourishment. When the soul wakens to its spiritual needs and begins to hunger and thirst after the righteousness of Christ, it signifies a recognition of its need for purification by the Holy Spirit. In our weekly Lord's Supper service, we say at the presentation of the bread, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you, preserve your body and soul to eternal life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. We feed on him, the bread of life, in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. We cannot obtain righteousness with God apart from his son, Jesus. If we are righteous, if we are counted righteousness, it is the righteousness of Christ in us that God recognizes. And we can only acquire that righteousness by faith in him. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness means to find satisfaction for our souls by feeding on Christ in our hearts by faith. It's not a one-time hunger and thirst. It's, a, it's not a single satisfaction of that hunger and thirst. It must be an ongoing perpetual desire to feed more and more on Christ by faith each day of our lives. That's my lesson for today. All right. And tomorrow we'll move on to verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Praise God. Well, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? That's the question. And so do you make that effort to seek uh, the kingdom of God on a daily basis? So, Well, Doc, uh, I would say that the people gathered here for morning manna five days a week, yes, they're hungry. They're thirsty. Yes. This is the evidence of it. Praise God. Well, Rick, today we had uh, 17 countries checking in, and so thank you so much. You know what? This to take an hour out of your day. We know every one of you are very busy and you have obligations for work and family and everything else going on. But you took an hour out of your day today to be with us and join us and to seek righteousness today. And so God's going to honor that. God's going to reward that. God sees that. And so uh, he's going to build upon that. And what's interesting is each day as we come here, we get filled again and we're hungry again tomorrow. Yes. So the promise is daily, but forever. Yes. You will you will receive satisfaction today for being in this morning manna class. Amen. He will satisfy you today, but come back tomorrow. Seek him more tomorrow. The the the, the satisfaction never ends. Praise God. Isn't that good? It's like a never-ending buffet. It is. So, 
Uh, many of you are listening to us on the uh, uh, stream in the afternoons on uh, WWCR or Gitter or Rumble. We'd like to remind you, you can always join us live on Faith and Values each weekday morning at 8 a.m. And you can join us live for the Bible study and participate in our online chat that's going on as we uh, study the word together. Also, you have access to previous episodes of Morning Manna, as well as True News and other uh, content that we produce here at the ministry. And so we encourage you to become a member of Faith and Values. You're going to love it, I promise you. You're going to make a whole bunch of new friends. And we've got big things planned for the future, and we'd like for you to be a part of it now to help us build for the future as well. So uh, please visit us, faithandvalues.com and find out more uh, about how you can participate on a daily basis. Also, we'd like to remind you that this ministry is uh, supported by your uh, love gifts and offerings, and uh, God sees those uh, offerings and those gifts and rewards those who are faithful. And so we encourage you uh, to be a part of that. Uh, several ways to give online, both on Faith and Values and True News. Uh, make an effort to show your love and give an offering to the Lord to help support the efforts of our, our ministry here. Rick, any final words before we sign off for this day? No, uh, we got a lot to report on True News today. A lot of stuff is happening regarding World War III. Yes. So uh, uh, feed feed your soul today. We're going to need a lot of nourishment in the days ahead. All right. We're off to a good start this week. Happy Monday, everybody. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next edition of Morning Manna. Take care. Doc, are you enjoying these Bible lessons about the Beatitudes? Absolutely. It's uh, getting a Beatitude adjustment. It is. Yes. And so, and our B8. Yes. uh, uh, This topic today on blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the hungry. Hungry for what? Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And not just any righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. It's the only righteousness that works. Ours is as filthy rags. We have to hunger and thirst for his righteousness, an ever-ongoing, uh, insatiable appetite for the righteousness of Christ. And the other aspect that goes along with that, and we quoted a number of verses today, faith and righteousness go hand in hand. Yes, because we're justified by faith. Yes. And Abraham's faith in the God who made the promise was counted, to him was counted right. as righteousness. Yes. So we're really teaching uh, foundational Christianity. Some people have said, where do you guys get these doctrines? They've been around. For They've been around for 2,000 years. You just haven't heard them for the last 20 or 30 years in America and the Western countries because uh, Chris, true Christianity has been pushed aside by Christian Zionism and, and prosperity doctrine, all kinds of other gospels. But the gospel, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is sound and solid, and it is completely focused on Jesus Christ. If anybody is teaching you something that Jesus Christ is not front and center, it is not the gospel. Amen. It's all about him, Jesus Christ, our King, our Savior, our Messiah. It's all about Jesus Christ. Fall in love with him and learn to love him more tomorrow that you loved him today. I'll see you tomorrow.
You're listening to WW. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.